be our first uh, session, training session. Uh, should be finished in the next 20 minutes with this first portion. And it's titled, uh, Sharing Your Testimony. How to share your testimony. I don't know about you, but my wife and I, we've been married for seven years now. And uh, one of the, our goals for 2010 is to have a young child. Somebody say amen. amen. You pray for us. Come on, turn to me and say, who prays for them? Amen. amen. And he said it in church, so you know, you got to do it. Amen. Amen. You know, I think uh, having a child just does something to a marriage. Yes. Makes it a little bit more special. Pat gave me a look. It will do something for my marriage. Amen. <laughs> and uh, when you really look at it, what what most Christians are lacking in their Christian experience is that opportunity to say, you know what? I was there when somebody gave their hearts to Jesus. God worked through me. It wasn't me, but I was in the delivery room. And, 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 and somehow that child has kind of attached itself or himself herself to me. God gave me a spiritual child. I don't know about you, but I'm praying for this church that this year God will give each and every one of us spiritual children. But you know what? You have to be involved in certain activities to have kids. Somebody, don't, don't, don't say it too loud. Don't say it too loud, but spiritually you have to be involved in certain activities to have spiritual kids. So if you ain't doing anything, don't expect that a stork will bring a spiritual child to your doorstep. Amen? Amen. So here, here we go. We start out with five reasons why we should witness. And the first reason is it is a command to all Christians. The Bible says in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This scripture I'm going to take a little time with because I've heard it preached, Pastor, that uh, the goal here is a participle. And a participle, the participle was not a command. So I've heard preachers say, It's, it's as you are going, preach the gospel. And I think to myself, that's almost like my mother telling me, as you are waking up, go take the trash out. But you know, um, that's, that's what a little Greek will do to you because the actual uh, type of participle here, you don't have to write this down, but I want you to know so that you understand that the participle is also participates in the imperative. It's a participle of attendant circumstances. It means go and preach. See, the preaching is the main idea, but you've got to understand that the going is an imperative also. So Jesus isn't saying, you know, as you're merrily dancing through life, tell somebody about Jesus. He says, go and tell somebody about Jesus. Do you know that the world is lost without Christ? That's our second reason why we should, why we should witness. Many of us 
think that some way, somehow, they'll get to heaven or they'll be saved if they don't hear about Christ. But the Bible reminds us that there is no other way. There is no other name given among men whereby we may be saved. The third thing is the world is hungry for the gospel. See, many of us believe that uh, 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 nobody wants to hear nothing about Jesus. Nobody wants to hear anything about the gospel. But Jesus himself says that the harvest is plenty. And not only is it plenty, it is ripe. The world is hungry for us to tell them about Jesus. And don't you know that the gospel is God's greatest gift to mankind? That's the greatest legacy you can live, leave for your children. That's the greatest thing you can give to your neighbors now, even in these economic times. And, and the last reason we should witness is Christ's love constrains us to witness. I asked the question, what propels you to witness this morning? And, 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 and I want you to be clear today that we're not trying to guilt trip you. Because fear, shame, or guilt are not strong enough motivators to propel us to witness. If you're doing this just because we're, we're pulling your, your, your string, you know, trying to make you feel guilty, it, it's not going to work. As we talked about this morning in Sabbath school, you can do good things, but if you don't have the, you're not doing it in a spirit, a good spirit, it comes out the wrong way. So you've got to be constrained by God's love in order for you to witness. Uh, why don't we witness? We know why we should witness, but why don't we witness? There are three major reasons. The first reason is spiritual lethargy. See, if we have cherished sins in our lives, it makes it difficult for us to witness. If we feel that our stuff ain't together, we feel, who are we to go tell somebody to get their stuff together? Then the other thing is, we, 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 we start believing the lies of the enemy. And what are the lies? There are five major, major lies. Just say, Amen. If, if this has ever come to you, you're, you're there and, 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 and an opportunity was given for you to share your faith. And then you heard the devil say to you, mind your own business. Or, or, or maybe you heard line number two, you know, sharing your faith will offend the person. Or, or, or maybe you, you heard line number three being whispered in your ear, those who share their faith are just being fanatical. Always talking about Jesus. They have nothing else to talk about. Or, or what about number number four, where we get we get distracted. We don't have the time to share faith. Number five seems to be a big one. Uh, they'll say no, and then I'll be embarrassed. Have you have you ever uh, been sharing faith that you you just think, oh, this person is going to reject me? The fear of rejection often keeps us from sharing our faith. And then, number three, the third reason. The first reason is spiritual what? And the second reason is what? Believe in the enemy's lies. And the third reason is we lack the practical know-how. And that's what today's session is 
going to try to address and try to fill that vacuum so that we can feel empowered to witness. Because that is the command of Jesus. Point number one, the scripture says we are commanded not to be separate, but to be uh, in the mix. Somebody say in the mix. In the mix. In the mix. In the mix. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and being found in the uh, form of a servant, he took upon himself, you know, he emptied himself and took upon himself form of a servant. The Bible says that the incarnation is our model for ministry. The incarnation, how would you, how would you be able to identify with God if you didn't know that Jesus came in the flesh, walked a mile in your shoe? God says he was tempted as you are tempted. And therefore he's able to offer encouragement because he has been through what you have been through. And so... When we look at what scripture tells us, the Bible tells us that we should not as Christians be separate, but we should be in the mix of things. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 talks about that too. You are the salt of the earth. That means you should be involved in everything. Somebody say amen. amen. And I know you, we, we tell our young people, I don't want to see you hanging around with a certain girl. Come on, you've said it to the young people before. Come on, raise your hand. You've said that before. Um, since I've been saved, the people I used to know, I don't know them anymore. You've said that before, right? Come on, raise your hands. You don't know them no more. You just turn your back on the world. The cross before me. The world behind me. You forget about all those people. But don't you know that that's the Old Testament philosophy of ministry? There's a difference between the Old Testament philosophy of ministry and the New Testament philosophy of ministry. The Old Testament teaches, come and see. See, God planted Israel and he told them, you're going to be a peculiar people. I, want, I don't want you to marry those heathen, those Jamaicans. I don't want you Israelites to be marrying no Jamaicans. They, they will pull you down. I want you to be separate and apart from the nations so that the nations can come and see what I am doing for you and therefore adopt your practices. But in the New Testament, God says go and show. It's not a come and see philosophy anymore. He says go and what? Show. You need to go there and show them who God is. And how do we do that? See, there's a tension when, when we talk about the church being the ecclesia, the called out. Peter talks about it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nature, a peculiar people. And you know, somewhere in the back of my mind, I thought the next phrase said, called out of darkness. But when I look at Peter, it says that, that he should shoot for the praise of him that has called you out of darkness. So our purpose is to show God to the world. 
It just so happens that he has called us out of the mess, but he has called us out to send us forth. So we are peculiar, but we need to enter into their world, the world of your neighbors, so that we can incarnate the principles of the gospel. Don't worry if you can't spell the word. Just write it phonetically and you'll be fine. Amen? You can get the tape afterwards. So here it goes now. The foundations of an incarnational presentation of, a of the gospel. The, the incarnational presentation of the Bible is built on immutable things. That's things that don't change. They don't, they don't, they don't waffle. They don't, they don't, they don't, they're, they're foundations, firm foundations that you can build your life on. And they're the three things that Paul talks about when everything else changes. These three things will remain. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. Now these three things remain. And what are those three things? Love is the greatest. Faith, hope, and, and, and charity. Love. And the greatest of these is, 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 is love. Let's look at faith. Given the natural world, filled with its scams, shams, and schemes, why should we have faith? Why should we have faith? You know, that's part of the problem that, that your neighbors are facing today. They don't know who to believe anymore. Your boss tells you, oh, your job is secure. And then next week you get a colored letter. I don't know if they're even picking it, uh, uh, printing them on pink anymore. No, they just tell you. <laughs> they just, word of mouth, you get a text. Don't come back today, you know. It's more efficient. You know, the world is having a trust issue today. People don't know who to trust. You don't know. You can trust your government. You don't know. You can trust your employee. You don't know if you can trust your spouse. Somebody say Tiger Woods. <laughs> but you know, our faith is built on immutable things. And when we are given the presentation of the gospel, we have to show ourselves to be people of faith. And what, what does faith mean? How do, we, how do we build on faith? Because we serve a God who does not lie. That's, right. That's what Hebrews chapter 6 verse 17 and 18 talks about. Uh, God, his very nature, he doesn't lie. And therefore we ought to be people who do not lie. Somebody say amen. Amen. Your neighbor needs to see that in you. And then the other thing is Jesus finishes whatever he starts. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. He who begun a good work in you will be able to complete it. You got to be able to complete stuff so that when you make a promise or a pledge, people know that you are dependable, that you are a reliable individual. You got to be trustworthy. How about hope? Given the natural world filled with its uncertainties and disappointments, why have hope? Our hope is built on three things that Jesus did for us. Jesus conquered death for us. Thought somebody would say amen. amen. You know, death isn't easy to conquer. I've been searching for a solution, Brother Joseph. 
I don't know if cryogenics is the answer. <laughs> then Avatar just told me that if I find some tree, I'll be able to transfer my electronic impulses into some other body, thereby cheating death. Oh, you guys didn't watch the movie? I'm sorry. That's I should have given you a spoiler, warning, a spoiler warning, warning, warning. But Jesus conquered death for real. And because of that, we are people of hope. It doesn't matter what happens in this world. It doesn't matter that your 401k isn't worth 25% of what it was worth two years ago. You are still hopeful. Because your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and righteousness. Uh, we have hope because he conquered death for us. We have hope because he is interceding for us today. Amen. And you know, I, I thought about it. You know, Adventists believe in the, the sanctuary message and the investigative judgment and all that technicalities. But you know what? Every Christian believes that Jesus is interceding right now. That's something that we can all agree on. And that's something that we have to place our hope in. The fact that Jesus intercedes for us. And the third thing is he is coming back for us. That's why we are hopeful. And it doesn't matter the ups and the downs. I mean the downs. Your hope is not affected. No, does that mean Christians don't have emotions? What you say? No, we, we don't have emotions? Okay. You know, those questions are tricky questions. Do you love me or not? I don't know. <laughs> okay, so, so, but it's, it means that we don't waffle based on the natural circumstances in this world. How about love? Given the natural world filled with heartlessness and aggression, why love? You know, I was listening to the radio the other day that there was a certain woman in a certain state. You know the Bible says, can a woman forget her suckling child? Well, no, women are, I'm sorry to do this, but women are killing their own children today. And, and there's a particular case that, that was troubling because this lady, she actually um, suffocated, I think, her newborn child. And they could not charge her for murder because of the way the law was written. The umbilical cord was still attached. And so they said technically the child was still a part of her body. I'm telling you, that's the world we're living in today. The Bible says, can a woman forget her suckling child? The baby on her breast. I'm, I'm, I'm not even going there. I'm saying, can a woman forget the child that's still attached to her umbilical cord? That's the type of world we're living in. Heartlessness, lovelessness. And yet we can have a, a firm foundation of love because Jesus loved us so much that he died for us. See, once we understand this incarnational gospel, then there are certain fruits 
that flow out of it. Our faith makes us pliable students in untried uh, situations. Our hope makes us positive soldiers in untenable circumstances. And our love makes us patient servants to unnerving characters. I, I was looking at number three again, and you know, yesterday I wanted a hug from my wife, and she said no. <laughs> it felt so bad, you know. But I was writing that that part right there. Said, Lord have mercy. Because <laughs> you know it's difficult to love when you're not loved. Somebody say amen. Say amen. It's difficult to love when you are not loved. But see, the love that God gives to you should be able to make you a patient servant. Should be able to make you serve people who just drive you up the wall. Somebody say amen again. Because you know we drive each other up the wall. And it's only Jesus that brings us back down. But do you understand what I'm saying? The, the point of all of this is if we are able to internalize all three of these characteristics, people will see our hope. They'll be attracted by our hope. Stuff is happening and you don't, you don't look flustered. And then they come closer to investigate our hope and they see the love that we have for each other. And then in examining the love and experiencing the love, we're able to explain our faith. So many times we want to talk about what we believe and our life is shouting so, so much that we don't believe it. Person can't hear. We're talking about how to share your testimony. How to share your testimony, make sure that you're living the gospel. That the gospel is in, incarnate in you. Second point, we're moving quickly. Not as quickly as I want to, but we're moving quickly anyway. The, the purpose of our being in the mix is to shed lights. Somebody say shed lights. Shed the purpose of you being in the mix is not to be a part of the party, but it's to be the light of the party. It's not to do what everybody else does. You know, some young person is going to go back home and say, Yo, mommy, Pastor Brian said, we should be able to go anywhere. Don't you know we're the salt of the world, the earth? Man, if, if, if there ain't no salt in that club, how is the club going to survive? That's why Christians should go everywhere and do everything that the world does. Somebody say amen. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the purpose of you being in the mix Mixing and mingling is to shed light. It's not to do what everybody else does. So, so here's the thing. We have to be careful that we share the gospel because the gospel reveals who God is. And when we're doing that, we, we shouldn't emphasize certain things like your personal popular issues. Gospel is not the latest news on abortion or gun, gun control. That's not the gospel. And you know what? The gospel isn't your own personal emphasis. You know, some people have 
one doctrine that they'll write from here to eternity. The gospel is not about making money. It's not about poverty or any, anything like that. The gospel isn't even about your denominational idiosyncrasies. Don't worry about the spelling again. Just phonetics, guys. Phonetics. Works all the time. It's not about Seventh-day Adventism or Baptists or Presbyterians or anything like that. That's not the gospel. The gospel isn't even about a Christian work contract, meaning trying to get people to do stuff, do the right thing. That's not what the gospel is about. The gospel is about three things. The gospel is about sin, because we have a sin problem. We all have a sin problem. One evangelist says you should ride people with the law until they recognize what, what wretches they are. Do you know why? Because if we don't recognize that we have a sin problem, then why do we need Jesus? And that's what our culture is telling us. Let's all just get along. Can we all just get along? No, you have a sin problem. You're a sinner. And if I leave my precious stuff with you, you go mess it up because you sin, and I sin, and we sin. But but the gospel says when you recognize you have a sin problem, recognize that God has through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ made a solution for that. And that's where the third thing comes in, which is faith. You need to believe in Jesus and to accept. What God has done so that your sin problem can be cured. That's the gospel. That's what we need to be telling people. You have a problem telling people that they have a sin problem. You know, people, you just go through the Ten Commandments. What's the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other God before me. You know your neighbors. What, what's, the, what's God in their life? Man loses his job and he kills his family. And his kids, because they're going to suffer. Because to him, if you're not working, you're not worth anything. That's God. The economy is God. We're always watching the dough. You know, I, I, I used to do that. I stopped doing that now because it's like, you don't know where it's going. It goes up, it goes up. Today, biggest increase, tomorrow, biggest fall. You know, that's God in many of our lives. But just follow, follow that, the gospel. So the gospel should impact my testimony, my life, and my church. When people read your life, they should desire more of what you have and should find it in your homes and in your churches. Um, your life, your testimony substantiates the gospel. Your life authenticates the gospel. And your church corroborates the gospel. I know Pastor Drummond will be dealing with some of these issues. That your testimony shouldn't just be something individual. Like, I can't be the nice person in this church. And everybody else isn't nice. You know what I'm saying? If I'm the only nice person, then it means I'll be shielding folks from you all. They can't only come to my house. They can only listen to my word. You know, what type of gospel is that? What I, how I live and how I present Jesus must be reflected in the life of the church. Somebody say amen. 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 And that's the challenge. That's why we need to check each other and encourage each other. 
Because if, if Brother Joseph is the only kind person in Imani, then it's not because of the Jesus that we teach here. It's just because he's a nice person. But people need to see that it's not, it's not you. It's not me. It's the Holy Spirit that's common to all of us. Why we're so different. It's the Jesus in me. Loving the Jesus in you. Somebody say amen. amen. That's why our church is so different. So we shouldn't obscure the message. Don't worry about those things. You can skip over that. Not necessary. Point number three. Point number three. Um, the two essential powers of your testimony. And if we don't cover anything else today, this, this, is, this is the most important right here. Your testimony brings salvation to people who hear you. Mark chapter 5 verse 19. Jesus told the demonia, go and tell, go back home. Yes, home. That place that you didn't want to be the first place. Place where everybody knows you. You can't pretend. The place where, where other people call you doctor. They call you by your first name. And your your alias, your pet name that you thought was all forgotten, but everybody remembered. The place where they have all of those pictures of you as a child, pantsless, smiling in the top. Go back home and tell what wonderful things God has done for you. Because it's going to bring salvation to somebody. And the second thing is your testimony brings strength to you. Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 says they overcame by the testimonies. Why is it that many of us are still struggling with certain issues because we're not talking? We're not talking faith. We talk doubt. Are we saying nothing whatsoever? Bible says they overcame him by their testimonies. Three essential parts of your testimony before I made Christ, Paul, and when I met Christ and what Christ means to me today. Other stuff we can get at another time, but I just want to end because I want to give Pastor Roman as much time as possible with what is success or failure in witnessing. You know what success is? Success is simply taking the initiative to witness and leaving the results to God. See, many times we worried about too many stuff. How they gonna receive your testimony? Are they gonna believe it? They gonna act on it? Don't worry about that. That's not. That has nothing to do with you. Just say the word, and God will bless. What is failure in witnessing? Failure in witnessing is failing to witness. Not witnessing. It's shutting your mouth. God, God gave you an opportunity. Dropped it right in your lap. And you did this. You know, I, I, I sometimes wonder if I'm more proud of the Patriots and Tom Brady than I am of Jesus Christ. Are we, are we believing the miraculous acts of Kobe Bryant? And you, oh, come on, somebody know what I'm talking about. No? We talk about Kobe's shots, the last second he saved us. But we don't know that Jesus saves. Come on now. Jesus saves. 
Just open your mouth and say something. You know, many times what we think is failure is really God setting up, plowing the ground for some other Christian. So you just leave the situation positive. Even when the person responds negative, don't burn the bridges, you know. Somebody says, say to somebody, hey, you know, blah, 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 blah. Hey, I hate Christians. You just say, wow, have a nice day. But they don't say, what? You hate Christians? Well, I hate people like you who hate Christians. <laughs> no, no, just leave positive, folks. That, that means it's not your work. God is going to bless someone else. Why should we expect results from witnessing? God's hand is in it. Somebody say, God's hand is in it. He's going to make us quality messengers. Come on, say it. Acts chapter 13, verse 48. He peers appointed persons with the appointed time. That's scriptural. 14, verse 1. He makes us skillful communicators. And the last thing, God still opens hearts. See, we are praying this year that as we work with the Holy Spirit, as we do our part, as we work on sharing our testimony, that God will open up our hearts, open up the hearts of those we communicate with, so that we can be a blessing as we share our testimony.